Paracast, with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Pietri. You know, David, I have not said in the last couple of episodes how people can get a hold of us, because I know a lot of you out there who listen to the Paracast do not ever access the site, theparacast.com. You hear it courtesy of iTunes, Apple iTunes, or a podcast directory, or some other resource, and we even are listed right now on Yahoo's podcast directory. And so you don't know that if you need to contact us, go to news at theparacast.com, send your letter to news at theparacast.com, and we also have a forum system at theparacast.com where you can actually post your comments and interact with us when we get a chance to respond to you or with each other. So we encourage that. We also encourage you to check out our future schedule because conspiracy theorist Ken Thomas is going to be back for the full show next week. Last time we had him on the show some weeks back, we were talking about the conspiracy theories involving the famous or infamous Fred Lee Chrisman, who was a figure in the Maury Island UFO case, who was also subpoenaed before the Garrison inquiry into the JFK <laughs> assassination. It gets wild and woolly. What gets wild and woolly, though, is our show this week, which includes a psychic, remote viewer, and political commentator all in one by the name of Sean David Morton. We're looking forward to this with great anticipation coming up on the Paracast. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes, where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies in Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. So, Sean, let me ask you a question here that may tax your abilities, and that is, do you think the NSA is listening to this conversation? Well, uh, <laughs> you want the real answer or the joke answer? Let's yes, go for I'm both. Sure, I'm sure Big Brother is listening. How domestic intelligence usually works is there are a series of computers that actually register a series of uh, catchphrases, and those catchphrases are, uh, well, I don't, I don't know if we should trigger the computers by saying those catchphrases. but Oh, go like for it. Things like President Bomb, Assassination, Bin Laden, uh, Atomic, things like that all uh, all register a series of catchphrases. Then what domestic intelligence does, and this has more to do with the Defense Intelligence Agency, is that they take a look at programs like this, specifically with people that they consider dissidents, oh, like myself, like possibly you guys. Sure, and, sure. And um, they, um, they basically just run the Arbitron ratings on each one of the show, and they do what is called domestic threat assessments. And the domestic threat assessment is... 
that they run Arbitron ratings, and it's sort of like a Q rating in the movies. They take uh, the dissident that is appearing on the radio. They then take the Arbitron ratings as to uh, how many people actually listen to that program. I'm not sure if that works the same for the Internet, but I'm sure that they can actually uh, might be actually easier as far as the Internet goes because they can actually then uh, trigger uh, numbers and actual locations uh, via computers of people that are listening to that particular program and then kind of download and consider what's said as far as whether or not that's going to lead to revolution or revolt or a violent crime or action or a terrorist act or what have you. And this is something that, you know, people think this just started with 9-11. This was way back in the early 90s when I was on the radio talking about things like Area 51, and um, I had a friend who was in intelligence who was a former, actually, oddly enough, he was a former Iraqi fighter pilot who was then an advisor to the Bush administration. And uh, this guy used to actually bring in the defense intelligence charts to the place where I worked and show me how it all worked with the Arbitron ratings and what they considered uh, voices of dissent. And um, nine times out of ten, what they try to do is, uh, if they've got somebody that they don't particularly like, is either start a smear campaign or uh, usually it's, it, it's, it's mostly smear as far as somebody that they consider a threat. So that's what they do. On the Paracast, we're talking to Sean David Morton, a psychic and UFO investigator. But we're talking about practical things here. And you're telling us, of course, that they've been listening to us for a long time. It didn't happen after 9-11, and it didn't just happen on George Bush's watch. No, it's, it's, what, it's what they call domestic intelligence gathering. It's what, they, uh, it's what they do. And everybody puts up the CIA as the big boogaboo, and it's not... It's the Defense Intelligence Agency. It's the Office of Naval Intelligence. It's, uh, you know, and those are the real domestic spy agencies. CIA, by law, only operate outside the shores of the, outside the shores of the United States. But when you consider that, and I actually, well, that's an interesting thing. I should probably actually look at the law because technically, as I'm sure many people know who are educated on this, the, the District of Columbia, or the 10 square mile area that's known as the United States of America Incorporated, is actually a foreign territory to the sovereign domestic states. So therefore, um, technically the CIA under that mandate can spy on the 50 states states because they're considered foreign to the United States of America Incorporated. Really? Yeah. Did you know, for example, here's an interesting case in point for you, that you cannot be remanded over to federal custody for a federal crime without first signing uh, an acquiescence agreement. In other words, you have to agree to be remanded over to federal custody because you're being transported to a federal facility, which is considered foreign to the domestic United States. As a matter of fact, that's uh, Code 941. I just, I just read it yesterday, actually. It was pointed out in three different law books that all that stuff they make you sign at the end of a trial, like, do you understand what's happening? Do you understand that you, know, you must sign this? And that, uh, there's quite a few people that say, really, show me the law that says I have to sign anything. And you cannot be remanded into federal custody without your permission because they're actually transporting you from a sovereign state to a federal territory, which is considered foreign to the domestic U.S. Has anyone ever that, refused to sign this, to uh, your knowledge? Matter of fact, the guy, <laughs> the guy, guy was having dinner crazy. the other day, refused to sign it, managed to get a bunch of things kicked because he, uh, he knew his rights and he understood the, uh, the secured party creditor status of what we call a, uh, you know, a, a citizen of the sovereign states. So Washington, D.C., the, the United States of America Incorporated only consists of District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, Guam, American Samoa, and all other federally owned enclaves and territories, which include military bases and post offices. That's it. The rest of it is actually all the sovereign states, which are considered foreign to the United States. That's why, if you are a sovereign country, like Romania or Bulgaria or what have you, you have to have your embassy within the 10-square-mile area of Washington, D.C., 
and then all consulates are actually then placed in the in the sovereign states. But in order to be recognized, you have to be within the United States. And there's there's two aspects of this: the United States of America, all capitals, and these, which is what's actually actually talked about in the Constitution, these small U United, and then capital S states. These United States is what's actually referred to. And the United States of America Inc. was not incorporated until 1872, right? and then uh, they actually used the Constitution of the United States as the bylaws for the for the actual corporation. But I guess that's not what you guys wanted to talk about today. So, no, actually, Gene, I have to say, Sean David Morton is really impressing me so far. This is one of the most <laughs> fascinating conversations we've had outside of paranormal stuff, perhaps ever. It, what we're doing also is that. Um, I've been teaching seminars around the country on, uh, uh, on a process that we call redemption, showing that basically there has not been a legal money system in place since 1933, and um, that when, the, uh, when House Joint Resolution 192 was passed, when the, when the Federal Reserve bankrupted the federal government, and House Joint Resolution 192 was passed by the 72nd Congress on June 5th of 1933, um, they changed the money system and actually said that now the money system is no longer backed by gold or silver, which is an abrogation right. of the Constitution, but is now backed by literally the matrix, the copper tops in the matrix, is now backed by the faith, energy, and spirit of the people of the United States. So it's based on faith that we believe oh. that the economic system exists. It's based on energy that the only thing that creates value is that we get up and do stuff in the morning. And it's, create, it's based on spirit specifically because, you know, based on that supernatural faith that we think that there's actually some kind of value to the money. Therefore, uh, everything is based on promissory notes. Everything is based on, and now, you're actually seeing all the chickens come home to roost with what's happening in the current economic cycle. And one of the reasons why you're seeing all these countries turn away from the dollar, because as of March 23rd, the United States, or should I say the Federal Reserve, which has nothing to do really with the United States, the Federal Reserve, which is as federal as Federal Express, because it's a bunch of 13 foreign member banks, it's 13 families that own this, this, this scam that's printing notes, not really money. It sounds that's, like uh, an organized crime family, the way you put you're it. exactly right. That's exactly, it's, it's the mob. It's, you know, it's the Sopranos times a billion. Yeah. And in this particular case, what's now happening is, is that, they used to have some accountability because they would tell people how much money was actually in circulation. Well, now they're not even doing that. And so by taking the Federal Reserve note off what's called the M3 index as of March 23rd, the entire economy has now become a huge, uh, what the military calls a black op, a, 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 a mystical underground operation. And since that time, the Fed has printed so much money, and now we can only estimate this, but they're talking about somewhere to the tune of about $100 billion that's just been printed in the last two months. If they continue to print money at the rate that they are printing it now, by this time next year, by May 15th of next year, we're looking at an inflationary rate of, of close to 25%. And that's another reason why all these countries, like Iran and, and now Saudi Arabia is talking about, about turning off the dollar or the petrodollar as the basis for currency because it's just – no longer is it backed by anything. Right. Now we're running into a printing press economy because they're trying to juice. They're trying to juice the junkie with enough horse, which is the U.S. economy, to keep it twitching until after the November election. Sean, this sounds like Germany in the 1920s when they had hyperinflation. Um, 
essentially destroyed the economy of their country, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. When it took a, you know, with with inflation of 25%, you're looking at, you know, $5 bread. You're looking at, uh, I mean, wheelbarrows full of money. And this is interesting. We've had our own Reichstag fire because, you know, 9-11 has been used to basically tear up the Constitution and exactly what this conversation started out with. So, and when you understand that the people that Prescott Bush, our current president's grandfather, um, we had to pass a law in 1943 called the Trading with the Enemies Act to stop the Bush family from helping Hitler yeah, by 1943. Yeah. In 1943, yeah. we had to tell them, well, maybe it's not such a good idea to help Hitler. Maybe that's not, maybe that's not in our best interest. Maybe. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. You're in the Paracast yeah, hey. with Gene Steinberg okay. and David Bietney. We're talking to Sean David Morton, who's a psychic and UFO investigator, and also, as we have found out, an observer of the political scene. It looks like if the NSA were not monitoring this conversation when we started. Oh, they are now. Indeed, they are. But <laughs> let, let's just continue on this vein, because I think we want to also stretch your powers of prognostication here to see okay. what you can predict in the future, because it sounds kind of dire. It sounds like some of it we can extrapolate from current events. But let me ask you a question I really want to kind of move back to that realm with, and that is the ability to predict the future, remote viewing, whatever. Is this something you are born with, or is it something we can learn? Uh, it's a little of both. It's kind of like, well, it's, it's like art, if you will, that you're born with some natural ability, but then you train to actually then enhance and, and hone that ability. So I was born with uh, the initial ability of of intuition and being able to see around a few corners and then uh, and then I've spent a good deal of my life actually uh, working on those talented abilities it's it's not like uh, you know I don't have a, a superhero kind of origin story like uh, Barry Allen police scientist was mixing chemicals one night and was hit by a bolt of lightning and became the human flash I'm uh, you know I've worked very hard uh, you know when I was uh, I, I lived in Egypt uh, when I was 19 I lived with a, a swami from the Ganges when I was uh, uh, in my mid 20s, I had a chance to uh, to go to, uh, to India and Nepal. I lived with the um, at the Dalai Lama's compound in northern India, and then in uh, a black hat Buddhist monastery in Nepal. I had the the blessings of being introduced to remote viewing when it was in its infancy, and being good friends with Russell Targ, who was one of the people and uh, who pioneered remote viewing. And uh, Elizabeth Targ, his daughter, and I dated back in the early 90s, and so we actually developed a lot of the original remote viewing techniques on how to use remote viewing to predict the stock market and roulette wheels and uh, using what we call associative remote viewing. And, um, the, well, and the challenge also has been is that other people that do this kind of remote viewing, most of whom have been trained by the military, um, have an absolutely rotten track record when it comes to predicting the future. I seem to be the only one that um, has combined the Western science of remote viewing, which is more thing-specific and viewing a particular thing and where it's at in the present time as opposed to predicting future events. So I've managed to successfully merge Eastern religions and philosophies or, or the Eastern part of the brain that exists in quantum time, if you will, where time is all happening all at once and one has access 
to any information out of a out of a, a, a loving universe, if you will. And the the Western mind that we call the left hand side of the brain um, that thinks in terms of time as uh, a linear, well, linear series, of, yeah. yeah, linear series of points. You know, the masculine and feminine parts of the brain. So to answer your question, it's a little of both. It's intuition and it's it's uh, a lot of hard work. It actually took me a lot of work to turn it off. And now it's when I put myself in a meditative state, and depending on what I focus on, uh, which is usually a lot of things that happen to have to do with the United States, I've been very concerned with uh, very concerned with economic uh, trends, and have actually uh, have the best bar none track record of predicting the stock market since 19 since I started publishing my Delphi Associates newsletter back in 1993. I mean, I've predicted virtually every rise and fall in the market. I've given exact numbers as to when the markets was gonna, markets were going to crash. In the last year, I've predicted the exact amounts of what gold and silver and copper would be, and at the same time, given people the exact timing of when, for example, gold and silver would be at certain amounts, and uh, and that success rate just continues. So I'm not just a psychic intuitive trying to scream at people as to what's going on with my pants on fire on a roof somewhere. I'm actually making people a, a huge amount of money with um, not only my predictions of commodities, but also knowing what the trends are going to be and knowing certain events that are going to occur in advance, I then look for companies that are going to then um, assist those trends. So uh, it's very much like catching the bottom of the wave. For example, last year I was on a national radio program and I predicted the exact, I predicted exactly what the first wave of hurricanes would do. This, the first one was Hurricane Dennis, which I predicted would, would ratchet up to a Category 4 and then peter out about 30 miles, uh, 30 miles in front of the coastline. And my investors made a killing off oil because I said, well, short oil, it's going to go up on the threat. And it went from 57 to about 64, I think. And then I said, and then it's going to drop when Hurricane Dennis just kind of goes bleh and doesn't hit the coast. So that was the first wave. The second wave, I said, was going to be a series of just smashing hurricanes that were going to wipe out the oil production and basically destroyed the city of New Orleans. And um, so I told people that if they were interested to start buying Home Depot and Caterpillar Tractor and that there were going to be all these disasters that were going to be wind and water related, therefore they were going to meet, they were going to need heavy moving equipment. And Caterpillar since then has actually just gone through the roof. So things like that. So it's not just the predictions of trying to warn people to get out of the way, because rarely does that do any good, but people who will listen you know, I suggest financial things that they can actually do knowing these things in advance. Let's make it personal. Now, okay. you're predicting all these things the way the stock market is going. So are you rolling in dough now? Do you have more money than Bill Gates? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> no, I mean, I went, well, for example, my uh, uh, some very close family friends, a gentleman who back in July took my advice and bought $400,000 worth of, worth of gold when it was like three twenty-five. And now gold topping out at 700. He just managed to buy himself a boat and uh, actually uh, wrote me a little check and said, you know, here's my way of saying thanks. I went to Christmas dinner at some people's homes that they'd taken my stock advice and they managed to pay off their house in a very nice section of the uh, um, of Orange County. Uh, I myself actually don't own any stocks at all. Therefore, I can't be accused of uh, actually uh, manipulating any of these stocks when I talk about them on the radio or doing whatever. So. I'm officially there is no money and has been no money since 1933. So we, we all should simply take a vow of poverty since there is no legal money in circulation. But that's a whole other story. So, but the stock, the stocks that I've picked for the people that I've talked about, what I do is I have a newsletter, the Delphi Associates newsletter, and people subscribe to the newsletter, which is kind of cool because the people that subscribe are people like, oh, the heads of Goldman Sachs and Dean Witter and, 
you know, who mm-hmm. wave my newsletter around in their office saying, I can't believe this guy only charges 65 bucks for this newsletter. And I've, and I've beaten everybody. I've beaten Kramer and Howard Ruff and, you know, all the big time financial newsletters. And it's not really a financial newsletter. It's more of a, uh, a newsletter, a newsletter about the paranormal and about new spirituality and new science and new paradigms. And, and, um, although I can tell you and kind of put an end to part of this conversation, 2008, or should I say, I'm sorry, late 2007, is going to be when a massive global economic collapse occurs, and, and Germany is going to be at the center of a great deal of that trouble. And I, I shouldn't say just Germany, but there's Germany, Brussels, that entire area of, uh, uh, of Central Europe. And this is going to happen in uh, November of 2007, when we're going to see a, a massive global economic meltdown on, on virtually every market, and possibly the beginning of a year of Armageddon that will include um, actions by Germany and Russia in the Middle East specifically. That, Germany? Um, yeah, Germany, the central part of Germany. Here's an interesting thing for you. Let me, let me just point out an interesting cycle that's going on. When you understand the Mayan calendar, the Mayan calendar, well, there's actually the Mayan and the Aztec calendar. The Aztec calendar ends on October 28th of 2011. And, of course, the, the Mayan calendar ends on the famous date of December 23rd of 2012 that everybody's right. talking about, which is now, you know, six years away. There's, there's what they call a planetary age a national, or a national age, a planetary age, and a galactic age. And each one of these has what they call days and nights. And it goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And just to give you an idea, the last time there was what we call the fifth national night was in about the fourth and fifth century, well, it was like the fifth century uh, AD. And this was when Attila the Hun came to power. He got the spear of destiny and he started talking, he started attacking everybody out of centralized Europe, which I thought was very interesting. The next cycle of that, which was the fifth night in the Mayan calendar, um, was the fifth, first one was national, the second one was planetary. The fifth planetary night of the calendar uh, began in 1932, which then resulted with Adolf Hitler getting his hands on the Spear of Destiny and uh, striking out <laughs> you know, at everybody. Same exact series of, of circumstances. And the fifth galactic night, actually uh, uh, falls on November 7th, 2007, once again stating that the center of what the Mayans called the uh, third world tree, there are like five world trees in the Mayan aspect, um, is once again Germany at the heart of a series of, of major conflicts that will have to do specifically with repeats of political and economic uh, unrest and, and war. And I think after 2008, when things kind of shake out, I think many, many people will start turning towards a purely spiritual form of lifestyle, a whole new civilization is about ready to be born that's not really based on the material, that's based on uh, getting back to the land, getting back to a more ag- um, agrarian, agricultural society, you know, because, and also people are going to have to come together because of oil prices and because of shortages in food and water uh, that are going to have to centralize uh, certain communities. So, And this is all leading up, once again, to the 2012 date and the, the various changes in the psyche and consciousness. And so many people, I think, they look towards the spectacular. They look towards the buildings falling down and the wars and the earthquakes and the tsunamis rather than understanding that the true pole shift and the beginning of the true new ages are happening within the human heart and the human mind first. And then those things begin to manifest in the physical plane. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 
1-800-273-2730. Or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. In the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, we're talking to Sean David Morton, who is a psychic, a remote viewer, a UFO investigator, and observer of the political scene. So to look at something in the near term okay. on the Paracast, so we cover Apple Computer on our other show, The Tech Night Out Live. So let me ask you, what do you see for Apple Computer makers of the iPod and the Apple Macintosh computers, the near term, the long term, whatever? Everything I'm probably going to say sounds like a Captain Obvious projection now, but for those people that have, once again, subscribed to my Delphi Associates newsletter, I've been talking about Apple Computer, and not just Apple, but Pixar from the very beginning. And I was saying back when Apple was $37, I think, and I said that um, my, my first big projection of Pixar was several months before the, the, the movie The Incredibles came out. Um, I said, look, I, I don't know anything about this movie, but I am psychically seeing that this movie is going to make a billion dollars, that this is going to be the breakthrough film uh, for Pixar. And I said that people should probably be buying Apple Computer and buying stock in Pixar because it's going to go through the roof, which is what it did. Then I said, I predicted specifically that Disney was going to buy Pixar. And I actually took a bunch of heat for this, for this prediction because Disney put out this huge campaign that said they had no intention of buying Pixar. And, you know, people mocking me and, you know, writing me the, the, the nasty hater emails about, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. And I kept saying, look, they're lying. They're just trying to drive the stock down so they could get a better deal. And then three months after I made that prediction, uh, Disney bought Pixar for $7.4, I think, billion dollars in, in stock, which makes Steve Jobs basically uh, the guy running Disney now. Uh, the projection of this, again, is that now that uh, – Macintosh makes up, and you guys would know more about this than I, but Macintosh, I believe, makes up between 3 to 5% of the computer market that's out there. And that right. now, the new, now that you have the new Intel chips inside the new Macintoshes and they can now run the PC, if they only increase their market share by 5%, you know, up to, let's say, 8 to 10% of the market share, you're talking about a stock that's now going to double. And I think I haven't checked Apple actually this week, but I think it's trading around 73, I think. But, I mean, the sky is really the limit with this particular stock because – uh, all the innovations are happening in Apple primarily. Uh, had uh, Steve Jobs in the beginning not greedy as he was and began to license uh, uh, much earlier, um, we'd be 20 years ahead of where we are with computing uh, than we were with Bill Gates. I mean, uh, the, the famous exchange that took, took place between Gates and Jobs is that uh, um, nobody's going to buy your computer. They're pieces of crap. And, and Gates said nobody cares. And unfortunately, he was right that he sold nothing but crappy computers. Um, here's the challenge. The challenge is, is that with the new Intel Macs and with now everything running these Intel systems, they are now uh, going to be as prone to viruses and um, meltdowns as, uh, as the PCs were. And already 
there have been uh, viruses introduced or people have gone out there and, and plugged viruses into the new Intel Max. That's, well, that's actually, that's, right. wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm going to stop you there. I think David and I are going to take an exception to that. And the reason we take exception is because it is not the processor that may make Mac OS X more or less immune to viruses. It is the operating system and what vulnerabilities it might have and what the inclination is on the part of people who write viruses, and largely they're criminals now in the market to make money, right. not to show their abilities, to exploit these particular security leaks. There have been security yeah. leaks. Apple patched 43% or 43 different security leaks in the past week or so. But as right. of yet, no major virus infection has occurred in Mac OS X in the wild. There has been one minor infection which maybe impacted maybe a few dozen or a few hundred people. That's it. Okay. hasn't happened yet. But I, 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 must know. Read, I must have read the news yeah. wrong on that because the, the, the rumor mill was that for the Intel Max that there was a virus was introduced for it. Look, no, no. The, Apple's going to be great. It's the company in the future. Um, you know, you're still looking at them doubling their market share within the marketplace. You know, I've been a, a big fan of it from the beginning. I mean, I had the first Mac computers when they came out like way, way back in like 84 and and um, so I hope that answers your question. Yes, they're they're getting ready to double their market share, and uh, and with what's going on with uh, with the Pixar film division and them taking over Disney, um, and which is something that Disney had to do, by the way, because Disney totally put to sleep its its 2D art department. So there there will be no more Bambies or Lion Kings or whatever. They just killed all of that um, to go uh, in computer graphics, and yet they had no culture. To do that, so that was one of the other things that uh, were one of the impending signs that uh, Disney was going to buy Pixar. Right. So, so there you go. As far as entertainment, as far as computing, as far as uh, big fan of the Mac systems, um, you know, I wish they I wish they'd gone more with the dual velocity, and and you know, I wish they hadn't done the Intel thing, but they're looking at doubling their market share and and possibly tripling it, and as I said, going from five percent to ten percent. Just in the next couple of years. So there well, that would be huge if it happens, Sean. I mean, obviously yeah. that would uh, that would be a, a great thing. For Apple, and just by the way, on the stock price, it's been hovering around sixty-seven, sixty-eight dollars okay. for, right. so for I, recent. So I, was right. I, I yeah. think I said seventy-two, seventy-three, something like that. Yeah, yes, you're right. yeah. I'd be very happy if it were at that, that, that point. I'd be happy at least. At least you so, own also, Apple stock, of course. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, me? No, we're talking about David and myself, and frankly okay, speaking, yeah. we're just poor talk show hosts, and only a very few talk show hosts have enough money to buy stock yeah. in anything. To scrape together 68 bucks to buy a share. I know how it is. We're debating that right now whether David should give up his <laughs> Big Macs and just put them into, or the Burger King Whoppers, whatever they are. Say less yeah, of those. All right. Less all of right. those and more stock. Cut it out. Let's get back to good stuff, Gene. Good okay. stuff. Um, well, I, I want to talk about this uh, situation that you, you perceive is going to happen next year, Sean. Um, it's fascinating to watch what's been happening with gold, by the way, and usually. Gold moves upwards like this when there is a perception that currencies are going to take a huge hit. The dollar obviously is set up for a fall between what's going on in the Middle East, between what's happening with China owning so much, essentially, of our, of our notes. Um, if they call in the note on us, we're in deep trouble. That's one of the reasons I think it would be very danger, dangerous for us to make a move in Iran. But along those lines, Sean, what do you perceive happening with our involvement in the Middle East over the next year and a half? Well, I can, I can tell you what I know, um, and this comes from a, a series of very highly placed intelligence sources. We were we were getting ready to go to war with Iran mm -hmm. and uh, blow up a series of nuclear sites as of March 29th. 
We had submarines in the deepest parts of the Straits of Hormuz. We had combat carrier groups there. We were ready to rock and roll. And a, a dossier came across the desk of the President of the United States that stated that the Iranians had received an undisclosed number of nuclear warheads from the Ukrainians. Wink, wink, read the Russians in this particular case. And that these warheads had been placed on top of a brand-new Chinese cruise-style missile called the Sunburn, which is a... Uh, a missile that apparently we have no defense for and uh, can travel at supersonic speeds. And um, we were, in essence, told that any attack on uh, on Iran would result in them sinking our fleet or a large number of our boats in, in the Straits of Hormuz. Uh, also exacerbated response by Russia, not so much the Chinese, but by Russia, and that there was the distinct possibility that the Iranians would turn Jerusalem into a smoking hole in the ground. The President of the United States said, I don't care, bring it on. And this brought him behind the scenes into a huge conflict with the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And uh, as far as I know, from the two intelligence sources that I have that are both presidential advisors and very high up guys, they write papers for the Senate and are part of the uh, uh, part of the uh, the U.S. military defense intelligence uh, uh, infrastructure. Um, there was a revolt by the generals inside the Pentagon and the Joint Chiefs, and they said no. And as of the 28th. Of March, they we were because we were at like DEFCON 5, red alert, ready to go, and they pulled everything back, went to yellow alert, uh, and called the whole thing off. And for the first time, as far as I know, this was a direct disobedience of a, a sitting commander in chief by the uh, the military infrastructure of the Joint Chiefs. Now, what you're seeing, as a result of that particular series of incidents, because we, and and let me use their words, not mine. They said, "quote." The cheese has totally slipped off the president's cracker, unquote. And these were guys who were saying that they felt, this is what they said. Oh, they said man. they felt that the president of the United States was, was quote, clinically insane, unquote, and oh. actually raised the question in one conversation I had with them that looking at the 25th Amendment, who would declare the president of the United States incompetent to continue or incapacitated? And that's a, that's a very tricky legal question because... It says incompetent or incapacitated, specifically in the 25th Amendment, but nobody says who would declare the president that. Uh, this has now led to a number of retired generals with direct links to the sitting generals now, has led to the revolt inside the Pentagon, a coup d'etat, if you will, uh, according to Harper's Magazine, and, and uh, uh, of these generals not only calling for Rumsfeld, but now disobeying orders directly from the commander-in-chief. And this is what's been going on behind the scenes that's now led to the revolt of these Pentagon generals uh, who want us either out of Iraq, a, a, a stabilization of the policy there, but the president just held-bent for letter, letter to bomb the, uh, bomb the Iranians. And the Iranians, again, all of these facilities that we're talking about, these nuclear facilities, are all Russian and Chinese facilities, so we would actually be blowing up Russian and Chinese businesses. The exit strategy for U.S. troops has always been to take U.S. troops out through Syria, and there should be an announcement as far as uh, these weapons of mass destruction. I'm not exactly sure why the government was saying, well, we didn't find anything, and there were no WMDs, because they all got shipped into Syria, and they're in a place called the Becca Valley, hidden in a series of caves, and there were a number of Saddam's generals that said this, who had defected and written you know, very well-known books, and why this intelligence hasn't come out, I guess it was only to wait until we were ready to invade Syria that uh, this information is being hidden. Um, bottom line, if you look at this whole thing prophetically, let's take some of, for example, if you look at the overview of some of the Nostradamus uh, material...
You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. I'll tell you what, can we hold that thought, Sean, because I have to tell our listeners, you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're enjoying an exciting hour and a half with Sean David Morton, psychic UFO investigator, observer of the political scene, and now you've invoked the name Nostradamus, so go ahead. Once again, Nostradamus talked about that there would be, that there would be three great antichrists, and... Uh, uh, we've got 6606 actually coming up next month. There's billboards all over Los Angeles saying 6606, you've been warned, which is kind of interesting because <laughs> what they're doing on that day is they're just re- they're releasing a remake of The Omen. Remember the old movie The Omen? Oh, my God. They've done, a remake of, they've done a remake of The Omen, and now they're releasing it on those days. Anyway, Nostradamus talked about three great antichrists. The first one will be Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, actually named Bonaparte in the quatrains some 400 years before he existed. Actually spelled his name wrong in the quatrains, but if you go to Napoleon's tomb in Paris, uh, his name is spelled incorrectly on his tomb, exactly as it's spelled in the Nostradamus quatrain, which is really eerie. Uh, the second great uh, antichrist would be, in a, would be in a Germanic leader uh, that he called Hister, H-I-S-T-E-R, and some people think that he may have gotten the name wrong, but in essence this was just another Nostradamian trick. Um, Hitler was born on the Danube River, which in the old days was called the Hister River. And so Hitler, Hister, born in Austria, flowed into Germany exactly like the river does, like a force, uh, like a force of nature, uh, giving us a lot of clues as to where he'd be born and how he'd become to power. The third great antichrist that he talks about, um, I, my opinion is that he, that in the quatrains he was talking about a number of different antichrists. It seems there, there's one particular uh, quatrain that talks about Mabus, M-A-B-U-S, and it says, uh, and if you take the word Mabus, you write it down, M-A-B-U-S, and then hold it up in a mirror, the B actually flips and becomes a D, and it comes out Saddam, uh, or Sudam, which I think is very interesting, because it talks about that Mabus will soon then die. It talks about his war or his reign being 27 years, and oddly enough, Saddam Hussein ruled for exactly 27 years before he was taken out in, uh, in March of, uh, of 2003. Um, it talks about Mavis will soon then die, uh, which means that either the current Saddam Hussein that's being tried is going to be executed for his crimes, or if you believe the conspiracy theories like his wife and his daughter, that it's not really him, that they've got some sort of double uh, actually on trial. Actually, here's an interesting point about that. I was in Egypt when they captured Saddam, and I was sitting in, a, in, a, in like a Casbah watching this big screen TV at one end of the Casbah, and all the Egyptians start laughing and start pointing at the screen, and they start saying, well, they must have captured Saddam in Hollywood. And I asked a friend of mine, I said, well, what, is, what does that mean? And they said, well, this was November when they caught him. And uh, behind him, from that spider hole, there were all these date palms blooming, and date palms don't bloom in November. So that footage that you saw, those photographs or video of that spider hole, was taken at some earlier point in the spring and then replayed as, oh, we've been chasing him all around Iraq, blah, blah, blah. So that whole thing was just a, a you know another gigantic tricked-up hoax. And um, so the last of these, he talks about a man in a blue turban, uh, a Persian prince, which was, of course, Iraq and Iran were greater Persia until Lawrence of Arabia uh, divided up all those countries in 1918. 
So, I mean, he's talking about an Islamic antichrist that somehow uh, molds Islam together as a force against the West, and that this would then result in uh, in the destruction of uh, of Jerusalem and uh, apparently an atomic conflict over oil. And again, remember I talked about Germany specifically, Gog and Magog. Mm-hmm. If you look at the biblical prophecies of Ezekiel 38 and 39, it talks about a a coalition between the Germans and the Russians uh, uh, invading the Middle East that is then wiped out by some kind of gigantic earthquake. And uh, that's the ending of the, you know, so there's all these different prophetic timelines that are all forcing us towards something. And the real shame of this is that uh, it is unfortunate that the Bush cartel, and I I can't blame George Bush for this because blaming George Bush for U.S. policy is like blaming Ronald McDonald because you don't like the hamburgers. He's just kind of a clown that stands out in front of the store. Uh, this particular neocon policy. <laughs> I was wondering if you guys get that. It takes a while to sink in, but eventually we do get know. the message. This, this poli- specifically this policy of threatening the Iranians over over their nuclear program, which no one else in the world seems to view as any threat whatsoever, uh, has now led to their getting nuclear weapons through the Russians and through the Ukrainians. Right. Uh, the very nuclear weapons we did not want them to get. The Russians, once again, through the Ukraine, have now provided the Iranians. So, and, and last year, Vladimir Putin was at the White House for like two weeks during the whole Katrina disaster. Every single time he saw Bush at the podium, Putin was standing 10 feet away in the, you know, the White House wing where he gives his speeches, with Putin saying, if you attack the Iranians, we've got a problem because there are Russian businesses there, and you know, you're looking at a response by, by the Russians. And it's, uh, it's a very sticky situation. What I wanted to, to know then, in, in your opinion, then all of these things that the Bush cartel is doing, I mean, it seems like they're trying to essentially bring on a conflict. They're, they're trying to stir the hornet's nest. Why? That's absolutely correct. Why? Are, they, are, they just, the, are they just completely out of their minds, all of them? Actually, you know, it would be easy to say <laughs> that they're just crazy or they're just stupid, but that actually What's, relieves and abrogates these people of responsibility. And no, I don't, we don't want to do that, no. Well, like for for example, saying, "Oh, how could we just let 12 million illegal aliens slip into the country?" Or how can we? Oh, it's just us being stupid. No, either it's people being really stupid, or they know exactly what they're doing. Well, that's and what I'm getting at. What's the underlying agenda here? The underlying agenda, and again, let me give you this from people that know, people that are in the in the higher echelons of the intelligence agencies. The mythology that the president believes, and this mythology is shared, and I, well, I shouldn't call it a mythology. This is a, a, a series of religious beliefs that are shared by millions of Americans, um, obviously four and a half million more Americans than, you know, <laughs> that voted for Bush than the other half, um, that by returning the state of Israel to its original kingdom under Solomon, what they call Greater Israel, or Estats Israel, by returning Israel to its original kingdom, in other words, Israel, Lebanon, big chunks of Egypt, parts of Iraq, the original kingdom under David and Solomon initially, mm-hmm. that by returning Israel to that original kingdom and by creating a of conflicts that bring on Armageddon in the Middle East with Israel at the, at the core center will actually bring about the return, well, actually bring about the rapture and uh, a seven-year tribulation phase and that that will bring on the return of Jesus Christ. George Bush believes this, and this has now become the foreign policy of the United States of America. And all I can tell you is that there are people behind the scenes who do not believe that by inducing Armageddon is probably the best way to bring Jesus back on the beam of light with the great white sword, with the faithful and true written on his thigh, to bring back this, you know, the revelation 
slash Ezekiel Daniel scenario. And unfortunately, the President of the United States not only believes this, but he's been conned into it by a series of dual loyalist neocons who carry American and Israeli passports that say everything that you do for Israel in this scenario really plays into the Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell, tribulation, uh, rapture, tribulation, Armageddon scenario. Therefore, they are using it for their own political gains, if you will, you know, the, the president's naivete as far as this, this religious philosophy. And now you're seeing generals in the Pentagon and people, you know, all of the world, really good people in the trenches who are saying, no, we're not going to press the button and, and give this president the Armageddon that he wants. And this is why there are people behind the scenes who believe that the president of the United States is insane. And I do not say that lightly. I'm not making a joke in that. There are people in the intelligence community who are saying, how do we get rid of this guy under the Constitution of somebody who's, who's got this itchy trigger finger who wants to begin a global Armageddon with these Arab states? That's what's going on behind the scenes. And I don't, I don't know what other way to put it, other than when I have conversations with these people, they just pull up their hair and, and, and throw up their hands and say, we don't know what to do, other than what you're seeing now, which is a revolt at the Pentagon and demands that Rumsfeld retire and, and getting the United States forces either consolidated on an embassy, you know, and now the Middle East has turned into another Vietnam. Now, there's, now it appears yeah. there's just no way out of Iraq yeah. uh, other than just subduing the entire region. And... A lot of the things, too, going on with the Iranians, the Iranians helped us go into Iraq. The Iranians hate the Iraqis, and they wanted Saddam Hussein gone. And we used their intelligence and a lot of their uh, infrastructure, to uh, their, the intelligence infrastructure, to invade Iraq. And now the Iranians don't see it going their way, because they fully expected that with Saddam Hussein removed, they would get a Shiite government that would be uh, a puppet state of the Iranians, and that they would somehow be able to consolidate uh, the Shiites throughout that entire region through Iran and Iraq and Syria and build a, a vast Islamic bloc or super state to eventually uh, stand against uh, the United States. We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on the line. William, can you give us an offer for our readers about getting the magazine? Yes, I sure can. This is UFO Magazine, and I'm Bill Burns, the publisher, and here's an offer for your listeners. We have a special five-issue introductory offer for first-time subscribers, $19.95 for your first five issues. Not available anywhere else, but on the Paracast. So, Bill, how do they place the order? People can place orders by going to www.ufomag.com. They can also place orders over the phone at 1-888-UFO-MAGA, or they can write to us at Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295. Bill, give us that contact information again. It is UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295. Or they can go directly to www.ufomag.com. And they can also call 1-888-UFO-MAGA, and they can subscribe right over the phone with a credit card. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast.
You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're talking to Sean David Morton. He is a psychic, a remote viewer, and an observer of the political scene, and it doesn't sound real good here. Now, let me ask you one key question, which is that we see now that George Bush's approval rating has been going down. I think one rating had it below 30. Does this mean yeah. that the general public is really tiring of him, or is it just a localized political phenomenon that Bush could reverse? Well, I don't think he's going to reverse it. I think it's just going to get worse. I think that you also see, I mean, I could say when you say localized political phenomenon, you're exactly right, because if you look historically at second-term presidents, you will notice that uh, into the second year of any second-term president, for going back to Clinton, going back to uh, Reagan, I mean, their poll numbers traditionally drop in the uh, about the second year of the second term. And... Um, I just think that that now people are starting to kind of catch on. I mean, when you're looking at CC, what is it? Bush's rating is at like 31 percent, and this this was kind of a, a, a funny thing that I saw about the approval ratings. Uh, the president's at 31 percent. O.J. Simpson is at 25 percent. Uh, Michael Jackson was like 22 percent. Dick Cheney was at 15 percent, and the only person his approval rating is higher than is Paris Hilton at like 12 percent. So, I mean, there's more people. There's more people that like liver than there are people now who approve of the president of the United States. Um, and it's just all I can tell you is that what appears to us as stupidity and and bumbling over and over and over again. Has you know this kind of like you know <laughs> well I'm, I'm going to make him wear a hat and wear some boots and do a funny dance. <laughs> what we write off as being as being ridiculous has now allowed this president to consolidate more power in the hands of the federal government than any other sitting president ever, um, spend more money than any other sitting president, control both the, the the Congress and the Senate and the Supreme Court. I would say for the first time in history, although I think the Congress and the Senate were in Republican hands in the fifties has now allowed him to spend more money to break the budget, to take the Federal Reserve off the M3 index, to print money like it's going out of style. Because that's the only thing that's propping the economy up right now, kids, is that we've got, uh, is that the Fed is just juicing the junkie up with so much, so much loose cash, because the world credit ocean has dried up. The Japanese have dried up, the Germans have dried up. There's just no more money except the Fed printing all this cash. So his, quote, ignorance has now gotten us into um, you know the, the war that he wanted from the beginning with the Iraqis. And again, let me let me point this out because I know I sound like Captain Obvious again, and I sound like all the guys on you know every radio show out there. But I predicted George Bush would be president of the United States on national radio in front of 20 plus million people back in 1997. And I said that this guy is going to be the president. I said there's going to be a hole where the 2000 election is going to be. Whoever comes out the other side of that election will be appointed president because there's all this chaos that I saw. I see the same kind of chaos, by the way, around the 2008 election process that I saw around the 2000 election process. And moving into this, I, I predicted in June of that year, of 2000, that not only would we see a crash in the stock market in October, but that Bush would not win the popular vote and would actually win in the Electoral College, that he'd get 46% of the vote, lose the popular vote by however much, but win in the Electoral College eventually. And um, that, that's, and that is exactly what happened. And then I, I outlined that first he's going to go after Baghdad, then he's going to go after Syria, then there'll be a conflict with Iran. Then you're going to see, uh, uh, you're going to see this debt ocean. He's going to spend more money than anybody. So all of these things I've put into play uh, have been years in front of in, in front of when they've actually occurred, 
And so now projecting outwards of this, the projection once again would be, um, and here's another interesting question for you, and I would give this, I would give this a maybe a 30% validity, but there have been people who've posed the question that what if he doesn't feel like leaving? What if there is yeah. a, an atomic holocaust inside the United States? And inside the, the United States? Inside the United States. A city inside the United States is blown up either by a ship uh, uh, coming, in, coming into a harbor, and we're talking uh, you know, Baltimore, Boston, or New York City, uh, and um, uh, then results in the implication of the, uh, this uh, series of protocols that just in the last eight months have been put into place for the president to just take over everything and just basically declare himself dictator for a period of time. Now, I believe that the whole illusion of the election process the idea of choice, if you will, uh, you know, uh, via the matrix, is too important to let people think that they have some kind of control. But you know, it's like you know, it's like the colonel that owns a plantation coming out of the plantation steps and gathering all the all the workers from the field and saying, you know, who do you think should run the plantation this year, Festus or Cletus? And everybody votes for Festus, and everybody thinks that oh, gee, everything's just going to be great on the plantation this year because Festus is in charge. And, uh, again, saying that these people are stupid, they've got some kind of agenda that's going towards some kind of – the only thing I can point to here is that, it, is that it seems to be some kind of global agenda to either divide the world up into three super states, a la George Orwell's 1984, or you have Oceania, which is the United States, England, and Japan, uh, Eurasia, which is, which is Europe and Russia, and East Asia, which is the Chinese bloc, and all three of these warring against each other. Uh, switching sides every other day, and then an internal threat, Arab terrorism in the modern age. In George Orwell's book, it was Emmanuel Goldstein, you know, as the internal terrorist that then gave them the excuse to take away all freedoms and put two-way TVs in everybody's houses, which we now have with the new Macintoshes, I might add. So, uh, you know, it's a... Uh, the Mac's a two-way what's TV what's... viewing device? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You have a camera in your Macintosh now, buddy. Well, that no, you now certainly do. You don't have to turn it on, though, Sean. Oh, really? You don't think they can? Are you are you plugged into a phone cord through the internet? You don't think that cool. they can turn that on and download your hard drive via the NSA Echelon system, or turn your camera on and look inside your house anytime uh, they want? Uh huh. You don't think you have a tracking chip, a GPS trick, a chip in your cell phone? You don't think they can reverse track that and turn your cell phone on even when you think it's off and listen to any conversation you have if you got a cell phone on your hip? You don't think that's well, possible? I don't. I actually don't have a cell phone, so I'm oh, okay. good there. Well, good for you. They're bad for you. Anyway. <laughs> I'm just saying that, that if the government wants to get you, they can get you. I mean, there's a million different ways they can do this. But uh, the projection here, again, is what we've seen in the last six years. If we've, we've seen the, the biggest transfer of power and wealth from the hands of the many into the hands of the few, right. then, then, then you've seen. No, and again, no debate there. Guys, no debate I'm, there. I'm a Republican, by the way. I mean, I'm a Reagan Republican. I, oh, jeez, really? Reagan back in 1980. Oh, yeah, boy. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not some, you know, some Berkeley Democrat here. I'm a USC Southern California Republican guy, and I've seen, I watched Bill Clinton betray the Democratic principles of unions and organized labor and borders for the country and you know the whole Catholic aspect of the Democratic Party, and now I've watched Bush betray the whole aspect of smaller government, more personal responsibility, God's help a better world, all of that. You know, you and I have all sat here and watched the Republicans and the Democrats become the same corporation. Yeah, yeah. You know, our election becomes a, you know, it's, it's Pepsi or Coke. And I don't mean to stand up on my soapbox there. I'd much rather talk about metaphysical stuff like we're supposed to talk about. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast.
Well, it just seems that metaphysical stuff tends to lead into the ramifications. But let me tell our listeners, this is the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're talking to Sean David Morton, psychic, observer of the political scene, remote viewer. And before we talk about the metaphysical ramifications, which might be a suitable subject for our next section, let me ask you about remote viewing. Now, sure. As I understand, this is the ability to be able to see in your mind something that's happening in a far-off location. Am I correct? Right. It's you know the joke is is that it's so you can psychically find the control to your TV, but you know get it remote viewing. Um, so is this thing on? What is this an audience or an audience? Well, I think um, right now the NSA is having a conniption, but we're not going to get into that. I know. That. They're, yeah, they're, they're having epileptic spasms as we speak. Um, the uh, uh, hey, who's that knocking on the door? Um, no, never mind. Um, <laughs> Gene, this uh, might be our funniest guest yet, talking about the most dire stuff we've ever talked about, but this man is funny. It may also be our last <laughs> show after this, but go ahead. Yeah, you never know. It's all an illusion, guys. It's all oh, an illusion. God, That's what everybody needs to, needs to understand. Remote viewing. Remote viewing was the direct result of a massive upsurge in psychic research in the Soviet Union. Um, there were two books. Uh, there were two books written by a couple of uh, reporters for the National Enquirer, back when the Enquirer was actually something, not just a tabloid, who wrote two books called uh, Soviet Psychic Discoveries Inside the Soviet Union. And when they wrote Soviet Psychic Discoveries, and these guys, I mean, when they were coming out of the Soviet Union, were arrested uh, for espionage. And there was a big brouhaha about getting these guys back because they discovered all kinds of things that the Soviets were doing with, a, with a, a, what they called the their psychic spy program. Um, they claim to have psychics that could stand uh, over the president's shoulder and read top-secret documents or sit in on top-secret U.S. meetings. So when this information came out in the early 70s, the military freaked out, and they said, well, if the Soviets have psychics, then we need psychics, and they called it the psychic space race. So what they did is they went to the, you know, the, the craziest place on Earth at the time, which was Stanford University. Well, it still is, actually. <laughs> and they found some scientists there who were actually researching uh, the psychic abilities of Uri Geller. And Russell Targ and Hal Putoff and Ingo Swan were the guys that were, were uh, pioneering this. And uh, Russell's goal as a scientist uh, who pioneered laser technology, satellite technologies, most of our global communication systems today are thanks to the genius of Russell Targ. And Russell has really gotten religion in the last few years. And... Um, their idea was is they wanted to come up with a system that you could take a person with the psychic ability of a literally a bag of hammers, if you will, which is which is most of the military, I might add, and take some military grunt out in the field, you know, train him for a week and allow him to view a particular target and what was going to happen at that target at a particular place and time. This was all folded into a really heavy-duty top-secret military program that nobody ever talks about called FAST, which is Feedback Auto Suggestion Training. But that was taking not only remote viewing techniques, but Tibetan Buddhist techniques on mind control and you know ways to control the body temperature and and you know hold your breath for ungodly periods of time and you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. But um, this was in the early 1970s, and the CIA used it to uh, actually uh, uh, kind of poke the Soviets in the eye with uh, with knowledge of a series of top secret satellite uh, installations that were in violation of uh, a number of SALT treaties and. Um, so this is kind of where it started. And then Russell figured that you could actually use remote viewing to predict the stock market, and he put together a group called the Delphi Associates, the original Delphi Associates, and they were used to predict uh, the outcome of the stock market and predict silver prices. And then I was involved I was involved just 
because I was just going to uh, – I was in high school taking some advanced placement classes over at the university, which was like almost right across the street from my high school. And um, I was taking some psych classes in the summer when they came in, uh, the SRI guys, and said, can we do a couple of these experiments with, with you? And um, this was with the entire class. And uh, then when Elizabeth and I, Elizabeth Targ and I were dating in the early 80s, I got back into it again, and this became a, a Stanford report by Dr. James Spottiswood called uh, Remote Viewing uh, in the Use of Predicting the Outcome of Random Number Generators, i.e. roulette wheels, horse races, whatever. So we went to, all, went to Lake Tahoe and... About 10 remote viewers did about 10 throws on a roulette wheel, and we came up with about an 80% plus ratio of being able to predict what a roulette wheel is going to come out. So that then combined with, uh, and most of the other stuff that's been done, as I said, if you look at people like, like Ed Dames and Joe McMonagle and uh, David Morehouse and the things that they've done, the military develops a program. You know, the military is not a charitable, altruistic organization. They do things so they can kill people, and yet this is a series of very powerful spiritual protocols that when I got a hold of this and I started teaching remote viewing, I knew there was a better way to do this. So I took my training from the Dalai Lama and from my training in Buddhism and uh, uh, living at the Black Cat Monastery in Nepal, Tangbache, and said, well, there are Eastern ways to actually apply this. So I took, I took the Western gizmos, if you will, the technology of using a series of uh, coordinates for a particular space in time, an address, if you will, for what it is you want to know. And then I combined that with uh, the Eastern philosophies of the black hats, who are in essence time travelers, who open time gates and actually fix time. I guess that would be the best way to view it. Took that aspect and then put it into this, and then by using that along with certain dowsing techniques and kinesiology, getting into the body, um, I came up with what I call SRV, which is spiritual remote viewing, which is a way for people to connect with the heart of God. And once you understand that uh, the prima mobile of the cosmos is that, that God is love and the, the core synthesis, and this is a lot of what needs to be disseminated between now and 2012 and will be, is that all is one, life has a purpose, and that God is love. It's very, very simple and very easy. So when you combine all of those together and connect to the heart and the core of the creator, you live in a, a loving, proactive universe where you have angelic and spiritual entities all around you who, who are just dying to do anything you ask them to do as long as it is to your greater and higher purpose. So this is why I think I've been successful in predicting the future and earthquakes and hurricanes and uh, political occurrences and elections and the stock market and what have you when so many other remote viewers have just either dismally failed or continue to make outrageous predictions and, and have no track record whatsoever. Does that answer your question? <laughs> it brings up a whole lot of other ones. Well, David, okay. go ahead. Let's start with that. Well, Sean, I, uh, I just recently read a rather fascinating little book discussing the end of the oil era. And the, what, uh, sir? the end of the oil era. The oral uh, era. Oil, oil. I'm sorry, I can't hear you very well. So. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I just finished reading a book called The End of the Oil Era, talking about... Oh, oil Era. Oh, oil. I'm sorry. I thought you were saying oral. Okay, all right. <laughs> no, not the oral era. No, no, no. I was going to what, people stop talking or women stop kissing us? or uh, what's the, uh, Okay, the oil era. Yes, sir. Okay, no, yeah, right. the oil era. Um, this book talks about the potential for a significant die-off of human population on the planet Earth in the next 50 to 100 years, just because of the fact, what we think is a fact, that we are running out of oil, and that this is going to have a very serious impact on our ability to produce food, on our ability to produce all sorts of consumable materials. And it, it, it basically posits this idea of 
in the next 50 to 100 years, a vast majority of the human population of the planet essentially dying out, like what happened on Easter Island when the natives there used up all of the wood on the island, and essentially all we have left are these huge statues in an otherwise essentially barren landscape. Okay, so you're, you're saying that in 2012 that there is this very significant spiritual awakening that is potentially going to happen, but how does that intersect then with what we know scientifically about the situation with oil and about potentially losing the ability of being able to sustain the society as it is now with this, you know, we're essentially driving an entire civilization on oil at this point in history. How do you reconcile these ideas? Where do you see us being in 30 to 40 years? I know that's a bit out, but... No, it's not, it's not, it's not at all. Can you go to the moon in a boat? Uh, not any boat that I know about, no. Okay, think about that. You can't go to the moon in a boat. Right. Therefore, you can't do certain things with certain technology that's available to you. If you want to go to the moon, you have to build rockets, you have to build spaceships, you have to, do, you have to build the technology to let you go to the moon. Absolutely. The idea here is, is that you have now a core group of, let's say, 13 families that, that own the Federal Reserve that all get together with their, with their sniveling syncophants every year or so, and we call it the Bilderberg Conference. The true name of that inner core group of people, by the way, is actually the Incunabula, which is a Latin term which Jesus used for his enemies, which means nest of vipers, which I think is a very interesting <laughs> way to look at it. The Incunabula have a core board of 15 guys, and these 15 guys, 1 through 15, don't have names, don't have faces, not people that you would ever know who they were, uh, and they gather around them 600 of the wealthiest people in, in the world who, who control the choke points now of energy, food, and information. The biggest idea here is, is that could easily probably support a population of maybe 25 to 30 billion or so, but not with the current technology that is being used. One of the intersections here between science and the military and the UFO phenomenon, let's call it, is that when I was out at a place like Area 51 and I found the hilltop that looked down on the base and filmed the base for the first time, Mm -hmm. And we'd go out there on Wednesday nights, we would watch these discs that would come up over the horizon and dance around and do all kinds of crazy maneuvers. Are, were they alien or were they something that the military was working on? And why won't they release this information, whether or not it's aliens or they're working with people from outer space? So what? If they have anti-gravity technology, the next step in human evolution is the understanding of gravity. With that type of technology, an antimatter-propelled anti-gravity engine, if you will, you're talking about a device that could power virtually most of the world. You're talking about a self-contained cube that could generate thousands of horsepower, could then bring water to a desert, can then float cities into space, can do all kinds of things. And this was when I was very good friends with Gene Roddenberry for many, many years. And we talked about there's this culture of death and suicide that's being presented to us now that there's just no hope because we're running out of energy, running out of this, running out of that. Every single one of those doomsday scenarios comes into play if you think that we're not going to invent anything new and if you think that there's no way to change the paradigm and if you think that there's no way to shift the consciousness and actually bring us some kind of new technology. We could go off oil tomorrow if we wanted to, but you would have to change the infrastructures again. And remember, too, let's, let's say you and I all rule the world together. Let's say you and I are worth trillions of dollars. Let's say all of us, Sean, Dave, and Gene, we have the power to make housing free, to make food free, to make energy free. Would you guys do it? 
For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Before we answer yeah. that question, <laughs> let me tell everybody you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We have Sean David Morton on the show with us this week. He's a psychic remote viewer and observer of the political scene and the latter. He was posing that hypothetical question. If we had all the trillions in the world, what would we do? Sean, what would you do? Here's the problem. The reason I, I posit this question to you guys is that, again, by doing all of that, do you turn the world into a gigantic ghetto? I mean, think about it. Think about where the welfare state has moved in to particular neighborhoods and simply just taking care of everybody's needs, like rent and, and, and food and, and energy, and uh, eventually those neighborhoods simply turn into crime-ridden ghettos in, in almost every single case. If you make all this stuff free and you give people no reason to get up in the morning to work the hamster wheel, if you will, and everybody's just going to dance around in their underpants, you know, watching videos of Madonna. What does civilization and culture become if if there are no, if there's nothing in place, if there's no impetus in place to drive civilization? And to answer the rest of your question, yeah, there's going to be a, a, a great die-off of the population. Yes, let's say you took it out 30, 40 years from now. Well, right. I did a I, I did a progression, and I'm actually working on the book now, which I hope to have out by the fall, called. It's called the Vajra Chronicles, and the reason I call it the Vajra Chronicles is because we did a lot of work on past life regression when I was in the, the monastery in Nepal, and I had information about interesting people that I was in the past life, or you go in and you, you, you check past life karma. Well, there's no reason that if you can't access information from a previous existence, why you shouldn't be able to access information from a, a post-existence. In other words, somebody that you are say, in the future. So what I did is I did a meditation, on, and I've led probably hundreds of people in the same meditation, of not looking at your, at your death as being a stopping point, but where is the next place that you come down? And I looked at our history 100 years from now, and I did this back in 1994, I think it was, and I think I looked at the year 2096. And um, in 2096, in this particular time frame, the population of the planet at that time was about 1.8 billion there had been a series of global conflicts, and I printed this. I put this up on the net. It was up on our website back in the, the mid-'90s. In that transmission, I predicted 9-11, that there would be an attack on New York and Washington, D.C., by uh, a series of attacks, actually, uh, of the United States versus the Islamic Jihad between uh, 2001 and 2006, beginning with attacks on Washington and, um, and, and New York, uh, that this would then lead to phase one of a series of wars and conflicts with the U.S., versus Islam with very little help from the Europeans, which was kind of unprecedented at that time considering Desert Storm and the cooperation that we got. Then there's a war between the United States and China that happens uh, the hottest part of the war 
technically the war is going on now behind the scenes politically and economically, but the war is up with a final last battle between the U.S. and China approximately the year 2018. And uh, there is an invasion of the United States. The federal capital has actually moved from Washington, D.C. to Denver, and there's a whole series of protocols in place. In fact, $100 million was just allocated about six months ago to move the NSA, the CIA, uh, the IRS, the Environmental Protection Agency, a, a big chunk of the federal government to Denver. And Denver's the secondary federal capital. If Washington, D.C. were to come under attack, Denver would be where they would actually run the government, which is why they built that big, ridiculous airport out there. Uh, which, by the way, if you look at it on Google Earth, the Denver International Airport, which was built by the Bush family, Silverado Bank and Neil Bush and that whole gang, uh, the whole airport looks like a giant swastika from space. So check it out. Check oh. out Google Earth and just type in Denver International Airport, and you'll see it. It's a huge swastika. And that these conflicts then result in, I guess you would say, the end of the wars of man versus man. Then throughout the 2020s, somewhere around 2027, 20, 2028, is I guess what you would call the cosmic wars, which are wars of God versus man. And there is a meteor which strikes the planet somewhere in the realm of Greenland that knocks the planet slightly off kilter. Um, in 2034, and once again, this is just a timeline that I viewed when I was there. It doesn't mean that this timeline can't be changed or, or altered or isn't some aspect of my deluded imagination. But so many of the things that I talked about in, 90, in 94 have all come true and all happened. There is some kind of divine intervention in 2034. Something happens where they, in the future it's called the day of appearance and all the calendars start over uh, at some point in October of, of 2034. And from what I could see, every starship in this quadrant of space appears for one day, cleans the atmosphere of the planet, resets the, the tilt and rotation of the planet, which has been knocked slightly off kilter, and then they just disappear. And after that, there is a messianic figure that returns who's a woman, the feminine incarnation of the Christ, if you will, known as the Emanuela. And she's a little girl. She's like five years old when she comes to power, but she's recognized by everyone across the world as being sort of like Mother Teresa, the Dalai Lama, you know, the Pope, Amaji, all kind of rolled into, into one. And um, she has access to the ancient power secrets of the Ark of the Covenant and the Staff of Ra and... Uh, Atlantean technology, which helped then rebuild the world. And by 2050, less than 45 years from now, there is an age of, of progress and development that has not been seen in our history. And that's when we're talking about just cleaning cities and a, uh, a whole new paradigm of, of power and technology. And that's where it goes. I mean, we all live happily ever after. The bad guys lose. I mean, the beast does not win. But I, I pointed that out to people, too, about 2012. I was just in, in Montreal giving some lectures at the university there because I was working on my, uh, uh, for the last couple of years, been working on my Ph.D. thesis. These guys are, you know, we talk about 2012, and we talk about that with 2012, one man will not be able to enslave another. They were talking about an amping of consciousness, an activation of the DNA, the mystery of the book of Revelation of the 144,000, 12,000 from 12 tribes, originally seated in the Bible, all activating at once, becoming these warriors in white, Jedi knights, if you will, and people say, well, yeah, but how come all this horrible stuff happens after that? Well, I said, if you look at what happened with slavery during the Civil War, and you're looking at the concept of slavery becoming untenable and unworkable and finally pervading into the consciousness that it was cruel and immoral, 20% of the male population of the United States died. We're talking about 2 yeah. million people that died in the most savage Civil War and probably in the history of man. Uh, and this is what happens when you have new concepts of freedom is that the old paradigms, the guys who sit in control of the uh, 
uh, you know, of the old ways are the ones that try to stop this from happening, which then directly results in, in war and conflict. We don't have much time left, but I wanted to ask okay. you a question that focuses a lot on your spiritual aspects here. And I gather from what you say and from what other people who follow the same things you do say, there is an imbalance between our physical development and our spiritual development. And maybe you can address that in our final section, what we could do about it, if anything. Exactly what the Mayans and the Aztecs talk about as, as to what is going to be what this next six years is going to be about, and that is the dissemination of the core synthesis. And the core synthesis of the understanding of the Mayans and the Aztecs and all these ancient peoples, even going back to the Egyptians, and the core synthesis of the Great Pyramid and the prophecy inside the Great Pyramids of Giza, the prophecy of Chichen Itza, the prophecy of Teotihuacan, um, are those three things that I mentioned earlier in the show. And that is, all is one, life has purpose, and that God is love. If we understand the one that it means that there are that, that everything is part of everything else. That there's no good, there's no evil. We transcend all of that looking at a universe of male and female, night and day, positives and negatives. That if you look at everything being a part of everything else, then that means that there's there are differences. We're all fingers in the hand of God. Hopefully not the middle finger, but fingers in the hand of God. Um, and that all coming together, that there is no separation between us and the cosmos and, and plants and animals and the earth, and that we get a better understanding that we're not, we don't live on earth, that we are the earth. And once we understand that, that we're all part of this, that all being one allows us to transcend the concepts of good and evil and look at positive and negative, to look at it more as teaching rather than bad things happening. When you think of life has a purpose and that the empowerment of that is, is that, is that no matter how bad your life sucks, no matter how crappy things are happening to you, no matter what you think, who you think done you bad throughout your entire life, that this entire attitude shifts because you understand that the way that you know that your mission in life isn't over is that you wake up in the morning and you're not dead. That's how you know it's not over, that you've got something to do that day, and you have some sort of mission and some kind of purpose in life. And life having purpose gives us the power to understand that everything we do, for good or bad, good or ill, that everything that's happened to you throughout your life has all been responsible for putting you at the exact right place, at the exact right time, at the exact right moment that you're supposed to be there. And and people understand how blessed they are to live in this age. I mean, if you look at the pyramids and Chichen and all these, I mean, I'm just in awe of the fact that thousands of years ago they built monuments in stone that were all built as clocks ticking backwards to this particular time in human history. And the last part of this is God being love, again, the prima mobile of the, uh, of the universe, the first thought, if you will, was the love vibration or love frequency bringing everything into fruition, bringing us to a point of gratitude and respect for all of the universe. There's the difference between the white man and the red man, supposedly, is the white man looks at the stars and tries to understand them, and the red man looks at the, uh, looks at the stars and appreciates them. And God being love gives us the empowerment to know that, that again, we live in a universe of affection, that the universe is, is not trying to punish us, it's trying to teach us things. And the chant of the Dalai Lama, which is Omane Pabne Hum, means I am the unbreakable, unkillable, multifaceted diamond at the center of the 10,000-petaled lotus, so that each physical body is like a lotus petal. You brush up against it and it, it withers and dies. But the diamond that is you, that is the soul, survival of universal life, S-O-L, has the essence of God, which is the generator, operator, destroyer concept, and that that father, mother, child concept exists within you, and nothing can kill it, nothing can break it. It's immortal, it's eternal, and it goes from one body to the next as the children of light 
move towards ascension, you know, we have the Lords of Darkness. There's fewer of them. These Lords of Darkness are there as uh, opposing pieces on the board uh, in order to make the game more interesting and, and more instructive for all of us. So I think that that should wrap it up, I think. <laughs> we have 10,000 more questions to ask, which we will put on hold till next time. Sean, could you tell us where we can find more information about the things that you do and the things you write about? Uh, sure. Um, my website is uh, www.delphiassociates.org. That's delphiassociates.org. And uh, the newsletter is uh, the Delphi Associates newsletter, the newsletter you have to have today because it tells you all about tomorrow. And uh, people can order the newsletter. It's triple eight four five two seven nine nine nine. That's eight 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 four five two seven nine nine nine. It's uh, sixty five dollars for twelve issues. It's it's a full color sixteen page magazine. I shouldn't even call it a newsletter. It's a magazine that is uh, the cutting edge of of, of finances, predictions, uh, new thought, new paradigms. Uh, we won all kinds of awards for the newsletter. We've got about fifty thousand subscribers across the United States, and however many more um, with uh, email subscriptions as well. So it's uh, www.delphiassociates.org, 888-452-7999 is the phone number. Operators are standing by. <laughs> so, so there you go. Thank you very much, Sean. Right. And thank you, Gene. David I know, I know, I know we, we, I know we went back and forth with this for, for a couple of weeks, but it's uh, uh, you and Dave are, 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 are bright, smart, funny, handsome guys. You dress well, and you're, you're, you're a hell of a dancer. As I can say. So, uh, so I appreciate you guys, and I certainly appreciate what you guys are doing because uh, – Everything that you're doing now is the next cutting edge of where modern thought and spirituality is going, and I'm glad you guys are at the the cutting edge of that wave. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. This is Tim Beckley, Mr. UFO, reporting for ConspiracyJournal.com. Fascinated by the strange and unknown, things that go bump in the night, UFOs, time travel, Area 51, the Philadelphia Experiment, shady government cover-ups? Don't be left out in the lunar cold. Sign up now for our weekly online newsletter and receive our snail mail catalogs. Go to ConspiracyJournal.com or email Tim Beckley at MrUFO at WebTV.net. It's all out of this world. You know, David, I've got to say... And I think you'll agree with me. This has got to be by far the most entertaining show we've had. He's a dynamic character, this guy. Let's drop the other shoe, though, because there are a few uh, problems that we have yeah. with a few things he says. One, of course, was the claim about Mac OS X viruses, where yeah. I hit him on that. But that's not the only thing. And, David, I think you could bring us up to date well, on that. I mean, okay, just along technology lines, there was also the commentary about Pixar and about how he felt that Pixar was going to be a huge success because of uh, The Incredibles. Now, as much as I love that movie, it was directed by Brad Bird, the genius behind The Iron Giant. It turns out, Gene, I mean, the, the true story is that Pixar had been a major financial success long before The Incredibles with their first movie, Toy Story. And then you have A Bug's Life, and indeed then Finding Nemo, which was one of the top grossing, I think, in the top 15 grossing movies of all time. So, you know, to say that he perceived that Pixar would be a huge hit because of The Incredibles, uh, well, it turns out The Incredibles, I think, might not be the best grossing Pixar movie of all time. Let's forget about all that, though, Gene. First, before we comment on that interview, a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you have something to say... Here's a place to say it. Send your letters to news at theparacast.com. That's news 
at theparacast.com. We'll try to respond to your letter. We don't guarantee that we can cope with the load of letters, but we'll try to respond. And now... After we, we spoke to, um, to Sean David Morton, I went to his website at DelphiAssociates.org, and I started looking through some of the content on there. And uh, let's just start with the amazing photos. Quote, unquote. Yeah. Um, he, he's got a section on here that's got pictures, you know, supposed pictures of UFOs and other things. I went and looked at the UFO pictures. Now, Gene, we both know that I have a deep interest in UFOs. You know about one of my sightings. There, there are more. I believe I have indeed seen a real UFO. I've seen more than a more than a couple actually, but that's this is not about me. This is about uh, Mr. Morton. So there are these pictures on his website of these UFOs. One set of pictures in particular caught my eye. Mr. Morton claims to have um, broken the story of this guy Adrian, who supposedly is in regular contact with beings from the Pleiades. And people can go and look at, at these pictures on, uh, on Mr. Morton's website. In his amazing photo section, the third picture from the top, are what's supposedly a, an armada of these Pleiades spaceships that this guy photographed, this guy Adrian photographed from his condo in Florida. And Gene, um, I've seen a lot of UFO pictures in my time, and most of them, as we well know, can be faked. This particular picture, let's just start with this one, this picture is obviously a fake, and I say that because I simply took this picture out of here, brought it into Photoshop, a program that I know a little bit about, and without much effort, going actually into the blue and green channels of this image, doing a little bit of contrast enhancement, it is very easy to see the strings, Gene, coming out of these quote-unquote UFOs. So uh, right there, I think we've identified that these... Pleiades ships are simply nothing more than, than toys, Gene. Here's the, the part that made me laugh. If we sat down with this in front of Photoshop, I could show you the fact that, no, they didn't even attempt to retouch the strings out. They're completely there. They come out completely with a little bit of contrast enhancement. They didn't even try to retouch those things out, Gene. They're, they're completely there. Then, I mean, we move down on, on the page. We see an image that's supposedly from close to World War II of a landed spaceship with some people nearby, a very fuzzy, out-of-focus picture. Interestingly enough, a couple pictures below that, we have the more pictures from the supposed uh, contactee, Adrian, showing a uh, some kind of a launch pad or landing pad, and then we see another fake ship landing on this thing, and interestingly enough, this landing pad picture we see is exactly the prop from the Circa World War II picture. All of these photos have essentially, Gene, been you know, um, falsified. None of these pictures are real at all. Now, below that, there's one called Origin Unknown, Photographer Unknown. This yeah. is a well-known fake UFO picture known for many, many years in the many UFO years. field. So to be charitable to Sean David Morton, to sum things up, we can say that maybe a lot of the things he says are real, but these photos, maybe he's not a photographic expert. But mm. understand that David Biedney is a Photoshop expert, but he opened that one photo and made the most yeah. minor elementary change or Absolutely. adjustment and was able to see the string. It didn't require 
being yeah. a professional graphic artist, elementary. Any other things in our waning moments that kind of disturb you about what Sean David Morton well, said? Yeah, so so Mr. Morton, again, and we had a great time speaking with him. I thought he was a very entertaining, charismatic character, but he has a number of his um, newsletters archived on his website. You can read about a bunch of his predictions, and uh, most of them are um, wrong, Gene. The guy does not have, based on what I've seen in his archive newsletters, this uh, this gentleman does not have a very good hit rate. According to his newsletters, there should have been a large die-off of people from the avian bird flu in 2005. I think something like 80 people died last year from it. I wouldn't call that a huge die-off. I mean, there, there's a bunch of stuff like that. And there were some of the things, Gene, quite frankly, during our interview where he said that sometime in the year 2034, uh, a bunch of UFOs are going to appear over the Earth one day and fix everything and then disappear. That's really pushing the edge of, uh, of reason, Gene. I, I don't believe that anything like that's going to happen, but belief has got nothing to do with it. If you go read his archive newsletters, you find that um, he, he's all over the map. I mean, he really is just sort of using the shotgun approach. That is uh, doesn't bode well for him as a... Uh, as a truly capable psychic and, uh, and and person who can predict the future, I don't. He had some interesting political points, yes, um, but overall, I'm not very impressed with what Sean David Morton told us. Thing is, here we probably have to spend a week and a half going over everything he said. He <laughs> threw out so many elements there, and like I said, he was fabulously yeah. entertaining, a genial, Absolutely. friendly man with a great sense of humor. I have no problem, by the way, ladies and gentlemen having him on the show again, but we're going to have to ask him a few deeper questions. In any case, next week we're going to be asking some deep questions of Ken Thomas about conspiracy theories, and that's going to be on the next episode of The Paracast. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.